We welcome all of you that are watching us around the globe and that will get this podcast sometime this week. And all of you that are uh, usually here this morning or out traveling and visiting family, whatever you're doing, we welcome all of you all. We want you to sing and rejoice with us and come into God's presence with us and let's see what he has for us. I want to read from Psalm 21 before we start our praise time and worship. Uh, and I've probably never read this ahead of our praise time, but I want you to listen closely to what he says about his relationship. The king, and that's a little case, so he's talking about himself, David is. The king shall have joy in your strength. Talking to the Lord, O Lord. The king shall have joy in your strength, O Lord. Where do you get your joy from in here? Well, I'm asking you, where you been getting your joy from? We know where we're supposed to get it from. But where are you getting your joy from? Why are you, uh, let me back up, and in your salvation, how greatly shall he rejoice? And he's talking about himself, talking in the third person kind of, but I, hey, Lord, you're where I get my joy, and you're the one that causes me to rejoice. You have given him his heart's desire, all those are lowercase, so he's talking about himself, and have not withheld the request of his lips, for you meet with him with the blessings of goodness you set a crown of pure gold upon his head and he's talking about himself still you ask life, he asked life from you and he's talking kind of like Paul did in the New Testament I knew a man whether in the body he asked life from you and you gave it to him length of days forever and ever his glory is great in your salvation His glory is great in your salvation. Honor and majesty you have placed upon him. For you have made him most blessed forever. The word blessed means receiver of divine favor. Is that your life? If it's not, it can be. You'd rather have the favor of the Lord than anything else. Can you say amen? Amen. Receiver of divine favor. You have made him a receiver of of divine favor forever. Why is that true? Because death ain't no big deal. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, right? So death ain't no big deal. I tell you, when you lose the fear of death, the devil loses a lot of ground in your life and mine. When you no longer fear death, you understand what's what's on the other side. For you've made him receiver of divine favor. You have made him exceedingly glad with your presence. For the king's trust, for the king trust in the Lord, and through the mercy of the Most High, he shall not be moved. What a word for all of us, because he's made us kings and priests. We are before his throne and we serve him. And we don't have to fear. Perfect love casts out all fear. Can you say amen? Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Give Him praise this morning. We're going to sing that again in just a moment. But I want to read something to you as we sing that one more time. I believe the Holy Spirit's receiving this praise and this worship unto Him. Let me read you something. Think about this as you sing. It says, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. 
You know what's coming next, don't you? And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. We love you, Lord. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like the flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. What do we call him? Jesus. Yeshua. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The Rose of Sharon and the Lily of the Valley. The bright morning star, the fairest of 10,000. He is the bomb of Gilead. He's the wheel in the middle of the wheel. He's everything. Amen. And his armies, that's going to be you and I. Don't get in my way. I'm riding right behind Jesus when we come back. And his armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done followed him on white horses. That's going to be you and I if you name the name of Christ. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that he should strike the nations. And the way they've turned away from him is time for judgment. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of the Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Somebody give Him praise. And pure and righteous. And there's none beside Thee. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust the name of the Lord. Give Him praise this morning. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Merry Labor Day to all of you all that's coming. Children's Church is dismissed. There's a nursery over there as well. So you can make your way over there. The rest of you can be seated. Welcome all of you that have joined us. I know some of you are watching us there out of town. Some of you are regular watchers from around wherever you're from. And uh, certainly those who get the podcast. And we thank you all for participating with us. Uh, I want to go to one verse on the screen really quickly. Matthew 28 verse 17. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Turn your neighbor and go like this. Don't be doubting. Read it one more time on this side so you all can hear it good and clear. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Are you a doubter? Are you a doubter? All right, we're going to look at that uh, this morning. I want to talk to you about doubt, but I'm going to take you a place where uh, you can live above it. So we take you down in the valley and then we bring you out, all right? Uh, doubt, I want you to listen to the definition of doubt in our modern time. It is a feeling of uncertainty or a lack of conviction. You're not convinced about something. That's what doubt's all about. That's what, I just made a rhyme, didn't I? That's what doubt is all about. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. We know Thomas was a doubter for sure, but in, in that context, it sounds like others were in that camp as well. Eighty-five percent of Christians doubt. Dun, dun, dun. Probably the biggest problem in the church, wouldn't you say, if it's 85 percent? 85 percent of Christians doubt. It's the most battled concept among Christians. Doubting. 
We're going to look at some things and how we overcome and all that. Emotion is one of the seven attributes that make up the personality of a human. And it's the least trustworthy of the other. But yet, many people govern their lives out of emotions. What they feel. Emotion is a deceiver at many times. There's no question that God uh, made us up as a triune vessel. We are trichotomous. Animals are dichotomous, according to the Hebrew. And so we have a body, a soul, and a spirit. And your soul, man, is the, divides the body. And this soul, man, is made up of a mind, a will, and emotions. Now this is where an animal lives on that plane. That's why they make decisions and all that. They lack this, which God has given to those who He made in His likeness. And so when this spirit is dormant until the Holy Spirit comes in. Once the Holy Spirit comes in, the number one objective of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus. The number two objective of the Holy Spirit is to magnify the Word. The number three objective of the Holy Spirit is to conquer you and I. That's it. They didn't didn't send the Holy Spirit so we could have better church services. The The number one reason the Holy Spirit works in our lives is to reveal God's Word to us, show us the the Son, and to conquer us. So that we no longer live just in these two realms. But we get, before we're born again, we're used to living in those two realms. That's the battle that Jesus and Paul both talk about, the flesh and the Spirit. But the Spirit man now has more power accessible. Don't say all Christians don't live this way. But the spirit man now has more power than these two combined. It's just opening up so the Holy Spirit can start spreading His influence into our lives and controlling us. You Tell your neighbor, say, you need to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Just go ahead and tell them. Because it's true of all of us. It's, I don't care how much you think of them. It's still true of all of us. So we're going to look at some guys who lived by the Spirit and, and were overcome their doubt. So emotion is, 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 I said to you, the definition of doubt is a feeling of uncertainty, right? A feeling. There's that emotional side of that. Doubt is like quicksand. It kind of impedes our progress. It will, doubt will, is, there's two ways we doubt. One is we doubt ourselves, and two, we doubt others. Now there's both of those you've probably all encountered in your life. Every one of us have encountered that. We doubt ourselves and we doubt others. If we, who, if we think about it, we kind of limit ourselves with doubt. This is far as I can go. Now, how many of you remember who Babe Ruth is? He's the candy bar. No, he's the, he's the baseball player. That was the home run leader forever and a day until they changed bats and started using steroids. Did I just say that? Yes, I did. He had an old wooden bat, standard wooden bat, 714 home runs. That's what most of us know about him, right? That and maybe an interview or something you've seen. You know how many times he struck out? 1,330 times. Now, if you're somebody prone to doubt, you probably wouldn't have hit 714 home runs. 
if you struck out 1,300 sometimes. He struck out twice as much as he hit home runs. Michael Jordan was cut from the basketball team in high school. <laughs> Michael Jordan, that coach needs to be fired. <laughs> I hope he lost his job. He needs to do something different. But maybe, maybe. But Michael, what if he'd have got down on himself and doubted? These are cultural icons that we have, good, bad, or ugly. I'm not here to debate whether they serve the Lord or not. But doubt is a powerful thing, and it can keep us down from ever reaching our, our, uh, what we're supposed to do. It will limit our progress, and it will in, interfere with our production. If I ask you a question this morning, I said, how many of you would like to be as productive as you can be? Probably everybody in this building would raise their hand. But doubt will stop that. Other things can stop that as well. But we're just talking about doubt this morning. Self-doubt is when you limit yourself. Maybe something somebody told you. Or maybe you looked across the street and saw somebody that was better at something than you did. And so you just kind of lived there from then on. The other doubt is doubt toward others. And this is a big one because it usually is hanging on to past experiences. Doubt toward others. And sometimes that runs its course with God as well. These guys were looking at Jesus after he's resurrected. They watched him walk on water. They watched him do all that stuff. But it said some doubted. So doubt toward others is a product of experience. If we stay, if we allow that doubt toward others to control our lives, our community will be very small. The people that will have access to us or that will have access to them. You know that there are people out in the world that can do something better than we can. There's, you, you, you need, we all need that circle. Uh, in the marriage conference, you'll hear some of this. My wife and I have <clears throat> been married for 32 years. That's right. I was, I was wanting a nod or something from my wife. But when we used to say, the world says opposites attract, that's not what's going on. That's the Holy Spirit at work. Because she had things I needed that I lacked, and I had things she needed that she lacked, and God put us together. It's way deeper than the world saying opposites attract. Now, I had, she had a lot more stuff I needed than she needed from me. But anyway, it worked out. And uh, when you see people that have been married... For a length of time, you say, man, those people are just alike. It wasn't that way in the beginning. No. But over time, you start seeing the value of, yeah, you do that better than I do. Let me just let you handle that. And that can work in your, that can work in your circle, too. And uh, so self-doubt and doubt toward others is a product of experience. And so a lot of people come to God doubting God as a father because maybe they had bad experiences with their father. And let me say something to you. Um, we need to give our parents a little bit of a break. They've been trying to figure this stuff out too. We didn't figure it all out overnight, did we? 
It's like a lot of stuff what we do is trial and error. Now, if you had a, a parent who was evil or whatever, I understand that. But if you had a parent that was trying to serve God that still made some mistakes, then you need to go look in the mirror. So self-doubt, doubt toward others. That's a big one right there. And that's the one we struggle with, I think, most of the time in the church. Uh, if you get your sense of worth from something out there, then it can be stolen from you out there. But if you get your sense of worth from Him, that can never be taken. What did He tell Mary? He said, Martha said, get her up. She needs been here helping me cut this chicken up. I threw that part in. And he said, she's chosen the good part. She's getting her sense of worth from him. See, that's the problem with the world. They value us, and we can fall into that by what we do. I tell you, if I lost my voice today and couldn't speak again, I would be just as valuable to God because I'm his son before I'm anything else. He loves me, and I love him. What about the Bible? Moses, what if he would got given up? What if he'd have doubted? God don't love me anymore. Doesn't kill the man, hit him in the sand, went out there. Now, kind of started my way back in. He stopped me, he's going to kill me. Had to circumcise him. What if he'd have doubted? In fact, he did doubt, but he overcame it. He kept saying, I can't speak. I can't do those things. Right? I'm kind of off to myself, kind of. And, and God finally, he argued long enough where God said, I'm going to send Joshua with you, right? And then when, if you'll read the Bible, when they start talking, guess who talks all the time? Moses. He said, I want you to say, he just wanted, that's like that old farmer who told his story. He said he's got a mule that plows his fields, because you can tell how long ago this story's from. But he's got this mule that plows his fields, and he's got a little donkey that run, run, was yoked up with him. And uh, one of the guys asked him one time, said, why do you yoke that donkey up with him? He said, because... He won't plow unless I yoke his buddy up with him. They said, yeah, the donkey don't do nothing, though. He just prances around while he plows. He said, just the way it is. Sometimes we, uh, we get self-doubt built up in ourselves so much that when God asks us to do something, we blow him off. Moses wrestled through that, but when he stepped up to the plate, he did what God asked him to do. Another thing is that Peter, Abraham, David, one of the hardest times to overcome doubt is when we fail. And nobody failed worse than Peter that I can find in the Bible. How do you watch him raise the dead, walk on the water, feed thousands with one fish dinner, and then say you don't even know him? That had to be a struggle for Peter to overcome how that Jesus, but Jesus had prepared him for it, even though he probably didn't recognize it at the time. He said, Satan's going to desire to sift you like wheat, but he said, I've prayed for you. And notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, I prayed for you that you wouldn't fail. He didn't touch that. Because he knows we're made of flesh. He knows man. He's mindful of him, the psalmist said. He knows us. He understands us. He's not dealt with us according to our sins, but according to His mercy, He has dealt with us. So He didn't touch His sin. He just said to Peter, He said, I'm praying that your faith don't cave in. That's doubt. That's doubt. 
And so Peter was the first one to get out of the boat. You remember that story? All that stuff going on. Peter's seen it all. He's been with Jesus through all this stuff. And then all of a sudden, they're getting ready to crucify his leader, and he panics. So those are battles of doubt. Peter had lots of those. Sometimes he won. Sometimes he had to battle until he won. Sometimes he won immediately. Sometimes it took him a little while. But doubt is an interferer with our lives. So, let's go to Luke chapter 5. I want to take you to Luke 5, and then I'm going to take you to 1 Samuel in just a minute. This is Peter. This is Peter having a chance to doubt. In fact, doubt stuck its head up. And most of you are familiar with this. Verse 4, Luke 5, verse 4. He says, when he had stopped speaking, Jesus had borrowed their boat to cast out to speak to everybody. And verse 4 says, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. So he was going to reward him for using his boat. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. See, there's the catch right there. There's our moment. Peter was a fisherman. He knew the fish weren't biting or they weren't in the place they were supposed to be to net them. He knew that. He'd been doing this his whole life. He was what we would call a professional fisherman for the industry. Not somebody that goes out and catches one for a trophy, but for the industry. He knew what he was doing. They were just cleaning their nets, had a dry run evidently. And so Jesus is going to reward him. Why? Because Jesus can tell the fish where to go. How do we know that? Because of Jonah. Do you, that fish just wasn't swimming by. It didn't just happen to be swimming by. They didn't just happen to throw Jonah off at the right time. He didn't just be happening to go to Nineveh and spit him out. All that was designed and orchestrated by the creator of everything. Amen. We need to remember who the creator is. And if he's the creator, he has the last say and he's in charge. And so he, he takes him at his word. See, there's our challenge. You're going to have those flashes of doubt when God says, go this way, here comes that doubt, right? We're going to see that in a big way in just a minute. That's our challenge, right? To doubt it, right? Not that we don't love God. Peter loved God. He was following Him. But those flashes of doubt come in. In this case, he won. Why? Because he took him at his word. Throw up Hebrews 11 and 6. Hebrews 11 and 6 says, But without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is. You got to, now, Do you hear that? Here's why a lot of times we go home empty-handed, according to James. We pray, but we pray amiss. Because we pray with eros, right? Love with a hook. We make everything about us. What if your whole life and mine was lived in such a way that God got the glory for everything. We're going to address that too in just a minute. But without faith it's impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He's able to give Him His toys. No. You first start with believing in who He is. Now that comes to His attributes. Forget His stuff. You start, if you're going to be a true believer and really receive from God... You start with relational attributes that you see in Him. 
He's got all the stuff. He paves his streets with gold, makes a gate out of one pearl. Now, that's a giant oyster. He's big time, God is, right? He's a mega God. But the first thing he's asking us is, have you paid attention to this? The first thing he's asking of us is not based on a track record. It's based on who he is. And that's what happens to the people in the first chapter of Romans. They forget who he is. They worship the creation. Hear me now. More than the creator. Therefore God gave them over. To do things that he don't even want us to talk about. He who comes to God must believe that he is. Who is he? He's Jehovah Jireh. His provision shall be seen. He's Jehovah Sitkanu. Jehovah Rapha. You know all that. He is the almighty God. He's omnipotent. Omniscient. Everything. All everything. That's who he is. So, and I understand that, then I go on to the next line, and that he is a rewarder. That's an accounting word in the Greek. It means payer of wages. It doesn't mean God just gives us money. Sometimes he does. My son kind of experienced what Peter did. He had the boat out one time, and some guy was stranded out in the middle of the lake. And how many people you think just passed him and lit up? My son stopped him and took him to the dock, took him about 40 minutes, and the guy gave him 300 bucks. That was worth a stop, wasn't it? You're all going to stop next time, ain't you? <laughs> he that is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Who are these people we read about? This woman said, I've been to every clinic I can find. I ain't got no money left, but I heard Jesus was coming to town. And I'm going to crawl on my belly. She, had, she touched the hem of his garment. So she was down here probably getting dirt and everything else kicked in her face. But she refused to be denied. She was diligent, right? What about the next one? said, my daughter's about to die. He said, yeah, we don't give the dogs uh, meat off the master's table. Most people would have been offended, run home, got on social media, and run Jesus down. But she wasn't leaving. She said, yeah, but the dogs eat the crumbs that come off that table. And he said, wait a minute. You got what you're after. That's the kind of God we serve. People who passively seek Him are going to miss their wages. I'm going to say it again. People who passively seek the Lord are going to miss their wages. And that's what He says. He said He will reward those who diligently seek Him. Now, let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 17. This is where I want to spend the bulk of my time this morning. I was here Thursday in our Bible study and I felt so strong about sharing this with everybody so you're going to get and obviously you can tell if you were here Thursday in Bible study I've expounded it a little bit already in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 when he talks to the churches uh, the Holy Spirit there or actually Jesus is doing the talking there he uses a word the Greek word is nikeo it's where we get the word Nike in our language so the shoe company used that Greek word because that Greek word means victory, Nike. Nikeo is the verb form of Nike. It means to gain the victory, right? So when you read the word overcomers, and that's what he asked of all the churches to be overcomers, that's the Greek word Nikeo. That's where we get the word Nike in our language. So the shoe company is basically saying subliminally, right, that if you wear our shoe, you will get the victory. That's what they want you to hear, right? But that, and that marketing's a big skill, right? 
Nikeo is the verb form. It is, has action with it, right? So when Jesus says, Throw your, take your boat back out, you've got a moment, right? And we know this as well, right? Let me flip this over so I can get these in front of you a little bit better. The word Nikeo is the word I just used. The word for, that undergirds all believing and faith in the New Testament is pisteo. It is also a verb. Verbs do what? Verbs show action. All right? So if you're going to be an overcomer, if you're going to, get, if you're going to be a Nikeo, you're going to have action. So Peter had a chance, right? He had a moment. Take him at his word or use his brain, his soulish man, that he's always been used to use until Jesus showed up and he, entered, he gave life to his spirit. But until then, we live by the soul. And some people are better with their souls than others. I would attest to say that Peter was probably pretty good with his soul. But at that moment, the battle started, right? So his soul man is probably saying, I'm tired, I need a cup of coffee, I want to go to bed. And besides, ain't no fish out there anyhow, right? And Jesus comes by, uses his boat, right? Getting ready to give him some wages, right? But he's got a moment, right? He's got a decision. All of us face them. You'll probably face one this week. With something that God wants you to step out in or trust Him in. And you may think, I've already been there. I was in that cove fishing for three hours. There's no fish in there. All of us have those moments. So if you're going to be an overcomer, you're going to have to... So Peter, in this case, he did overcome. He was an overcomer. And ultimately, Peter overcome because he gave his life for the Lord. He, he, he worked all this out. And the times that he didn't at, at the moment, he did later. But doubt will paralyze you. What does doubt do? Doubt will keep us from receiving. Jesus told a whole group of people one time, said he couldn't do many things there because of their doubt or their unbelief. That's interesting, right? Because we know God is supernatural. We know He's sovereign. At times, He does things whether we ask or not. But He don't always do that. So, an overcomer means to gain the victory. Moses did that. Abraham did that. David did that. Peter did that. All these guys faced battles, but they overcame. Doubt limits our progress and production. Staying convinced. How do you stay convinced? If you want to overcome doubt, you've got to stay convinced. You've got to stay in a position of being convinced. The conviction, right? We don't lack conviction. We stand in conviction that God's who He said He was. Let me give you an example of this before we get into 1 Samuel. Staying convinced is faith is the cure for doubt, right? We just read that. And the Word is the remedy for faith. I just read that. So if you want your faith to grow, that will keep doubt pushed out, you've got to stay in the Word. And so I challenge you. I have as busy a life as anybody. But I refuse to not get the Word of God in me every day. So I, am I a vehicle or whatever? Sometimes I'll get two or three hours in one day of God's Word. I'm not, I, 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 I'm not against Caleb. But listening to the Word is better than listening to Caleb. Did I just say that? Yes, I did. 
Everything's going to pass away. Do you know God's going to burn this church to the ground? When He comes back and they have a new heaven, new earth, the only thing that's going to be left standing, the Bible says, is the Word. So you and I need to get into the Word. Now, let me tell you what this is like. Doubt comes this way. And I'm talking to a Christian now. I'm not talking to somebody that's had a bad experience. And that may be true as well, but I'm talking, I'm talking to Christians. Staying convinced. Faith is the cure for doubt, and the Word is the remedy for faith. Now, let me give you an example. It's like an old friend you haven't been in contact for a season. All right? You run up on them. I've had this happen to me twice in the last six months. Two preacher friends of mine I hadn't seen for a long time. One I ran up on, I left there feeling uneasy because they had fallen into false doctrine. It's this dominion stuff that stuck its nose back in the church. And one I was so refreshed because he was keeping the faith. But I, didn't, I felt uneasy about sharing with this other one. I doubted. I doubted. The other one, I just about took my shirt off. I was so open with him. You know, I didn't because we were standing in a store. But. but that's where doubt can happen, right? It's like that. So what I brought that up for is comparing it to God. If you ain't seen him in a while, if you ain't been hanging out with him in a while, if you ain't been hearing his voice and his word in a while, it caused you to doubt. We need to be careful to stay in God's word. That's the remedy for our doubting. Staying convinced. Not in results. What do we read? In who he is. That's how the doubt stays out. The doubt don't stay out when you look at a problem and think, man, who can fix that? The doubt stays out when you rest in who He is. 1 Samuel 17. This, some of you are here, so you get a double portion of this. Count yourself blessed. I'm going to pick up in verse 16 of 1 Samuel. He says, And the Philistines drew near and presented himself the Philistine drew near and presented himself for 40 days, morning and evening. This is David and Goliath. Everybody's familiar with the story. Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and the, these ten loaves and run to your brothers at the camp and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. Now Saul and they... And all the men uh, of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting it with the Philistines. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with a keeper, took the things, and went at Jesse, went as Jesse had commanded him. Now Jesse's his father, and he's from Kentucky, because he's got a name like Jesse. And he came up to camp as the army was going out to the, uh, fight the shouting and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up a battle in array, army against army, and David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, came and greeted his brothers. Then he talked with them. Then as he talked with them, there was a champion 
uh, Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up the armies of the Philistines, and spoke according to the same words. So David heard them, and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So this enemy is causing doubt and fear, and he's got Israel back on their heels. Now I want to say something to you that might be kind of against the soulish man, right? It's a paradox. It's the, you know, paradoxes in the Bible are if you want to live, you must. If you want to receive, you must. Those are paradoxes. They're hard for the soulish man to go along with, but the spirit man understands the reward of that. Same thing here. We look at Goliath and we think, that's the devil trying to put... No, Goliath was brought to the valley by God. God brought Goliath to the valley because he intended for his people to overthrow him. You get a problem, and it may feel like you're at the last, you're in the last day of your life because it's so intense, right? But when God wants us to overcome something, He brings it out. He brings it to the valley. He wants you to overcome. Whatever Goliath represents to you this morning, God's going to bring that in front of you until you destroy it. That's, and we're going to see that plainly with David here. David, is, he's out there, and he's uh, running, with, trying to talk to these brothers, and he says, have you seen this man come up? So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And shall be that man who and shall uh, and be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. If he knew how that was going to turn out, uh, he might would have took the tax deal, but he said no on the daughter deal, because she turned out not to be such a good lady. Uh, but David wasn't there for that anyway. Notice what happens. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him. Can you imagine that? The IRS coming to your house saying, if you'll do this for us, you won't have to pay taxes, you or your family, the rest of your life. That ain't happening in America. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, What shall be done with this man who kills the Philistine takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Now when he said that, what did he do? He brought it into the spirit realm. When he used the word uncircumcised, see, that's where our first problem is at. When we do battle, and we know these scriptures, our, uh, the weapons of our warfare are not, are not carnal, but are mighty through God. They're spiritual, right? But we let the devil bring that stuff down into the natural realm all the time. And we look at the report, or we hear the report, we hear the evil, we hear the bad, and so all that stuff starts coming in that soulish man, Right? It all starts coming in on this soulish man. And if this spirit man has not been going to the gym and working out, this soulish man will start to dominate him again. That's why we see some of the statistics that are in the world, they're just as bad in the church because the soulish man is still running alive even though the Holy Spirit is supposed to kill him. <laughs> Did I say that? Bring him into subjection is probably the best way to say that. Even though Paul said, I die daily. We need to put to death the deeds of the flesh, right? So here's David coming out, and so he takes that battle. That's what you have to do. That's what I do 90% of the time. That's why I tell you some of my stories. I don't, I don't, we don't fight flesh and blood, right? We're, we know all these things, but when the battle shows up and Goliath's down in the valley, it's easy. everybody on the mountain except for David is looking at this in the natural. 
They're forgetting that God done all these miracles for them. They're forgetting how big their God is, right? That's why when you come to Him, you must believe who He is. Forget about what you're after. Just believe who He is. He can do whatever you're asking. The Bible says He can do far above what we can think or ask. He can bring you a bushel of corn. That's not the issue. The issue is believing who He is. Do you believe that He's the Son of God? Do you believe He died on the tree for your sins? Not everybody else's, yours. Do you believe He come out of that grave when every demon in hell was probably trying to stop it and they couldn't? Do you believe He will judge you someday? You will give an account of yourself to Him someday. Do you believe that? Do you believe that everything belongs to Him? Do you believe He owns the cattle on the thousand hills and also He owns the hills? He is your God. He's in charge of everything. You need to believe it. So Samuel tells us here, this guy's going to get off from taxes, going to get the king's daughter. David's not really concerned with all that. He said, who is this uncircumcised? So he took this battle out of the natural into the spiritual. That was even important in the Old Testament. That he should defy, notice what he said, the armies. He could have said anything there. He could have said of Saul. The armies where my brothers are at. He could have even said Israel. But he didn't. He kept the battle up here because he knew that's where the power was at. See, that's why we got people who worship Satan having satanic rituals every week in South America for the destruction of Christian marriages because they know where the spirit, where the power is at. Even the devil knows there's more power in the spiritual realm than there is in the natural. We look at armies and tanks and all that stuff. Okay, but there's way more power. Do you know what? One angel killed 180,000 dudes at, in one night. There ain't no power down here compared to what's in the spirit realm. It ain't even close. It ain't even close. When one angel shows up to town and wipes out 180,000 guys in one night, he's a bad dude. In a good sense. And so he says, he, uh, the, the, he keeps, see, see how he keeps the battle? That's our, fault. That's our downfall. That's where we really struggle. Not keeping that battle up here where it belongs. So, and the people answered. He said, let me finish what he said, that he should defy the armies of the living God. So that's the second time he's moved that battle up here and making it personal about God, Right? And the people answered him in this manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard that he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, Why do you come here? And with whom have you left a few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride, your insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. See, now people, when you're going to have faith, and you're going to quit doubting, the people around you that are still stuck in fear and doubt, they're going to ridicule you. They're going to think you're trying to show off. That's what they're going to do. If you're going, I, I don't care what they think about me. I'm going, to, I'm going to honor God. I don't care if there's mortars going on all around me. I'm going to honor God. I'm going to stick with Him. He's the one that gave me life. He's the one that gave me eternal life. He's the one that formed me in my mother's womb. I owe Him my life. Not because I'm a preacher, but because I'm His son. I owe God my life. And I don't care what's going on around me. A thousand may fall at your side or ten thousand, he said, but it shall not come nigh you. I tell you, I'm not leaving this earth until God's through with me. That takes fear out. That takes fear out. But if you're going to live that way, you're going to be ridiculed. 
But I think it starts with me first. If I'm going to lead God's people into faith, it's got to start with me first. If you're going to live that way, you're going to have people, though, that, that ridicule you. His own brothers are ridiculing him, saying he's proud. Notice what else goes on here. David said, what have I done now? Have you ever said that? Somebody come in and accuse you of something, you're like, well, what did I do? Just put flesh and blood on it. It's normal stuff, right? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from the, toward another and said the same thing, and these people answered him as the first ones did. They were all making fun of him. Oh, you're just trying to be a big man. He's one of the smallest guys. The Bible said he's ruddy, small in stature. David's not the big dude on the block, but he trusts in the Lord. That's what makes the difference. And he says, so now when the words which David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and he sent them sent for him. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go fight this Philistine. Now he's honoring his authority. So he sends to Saul, and he's calling himself a servant. This guy's already been anointed king. Now how many people you know would have gotten the flesh and went up and started a, a big uh, powwow and said, hey, I'm king now. He stayed under his authority. He understood. The people that got moved from Jesus in the toast, a lot of times it was because they understood his authority. Do you understand his authority? He has authority in every sector of your life. Your checkbook, your health, your wealth, your family, your spiritual life, your natural life, your job, your business. He should have authority in all of that. There shouldn't be any sectors of our lives that Jesus don't have control of. I need a couple of amens or I'm going to take up an offering. Okay. Then he said, uh, and Saul said to David, You are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he's a man of war from his youth. So there's a problem in the natural, right? But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when the lion or bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after and, st- and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And it, when it arose again to me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine, see, he's keeping it in the spirit realm because he's making it about spiritual things. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of those, one of them, seeing he has defied, here he goes again, the armies of the living God. He kept it up here. He kept the battle up here. You see that? Now, I, I, I have to admit, you better be ready to fight if you was going to run across David. Because if he whooped a lion and a bear, he's pretty tough. Even in a natural, he's tough. I mean, you, gotta be, you better be ready to roll if you run across him. Moreover, David said, The Lord, here we go, see where he's keeping the battle? He's keeping it up here. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, He will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Somebody ought to give God praise. Amen. That's where we're supposed to live, right there. Look back at your life and see when you should have been dead maybe or when you should have been left alone with nothing. And here come the Lord. Maybe he used somebody. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he brought somebody like uh, the widow woman. Maybe he brought a bird like he did Elijah. Whatever. He's God. He can do whatever he wants to do. But what he wants us to do is remember how good and how faithful he's been so the next trial we have, we don't fall all to pieces and get spooked. Now what's wrong with all the people in Israel? They're spooked. They're all spooked. And here comes the sheep keeper. He ain't spooked. And he ain't spooked because he trusts in the Lord. You and God are a majority. Do you understand that? If God is for us, who can be against us? doesn't mean you won't have opposition. It just means it'll be futile. And you've seen that in your life. I've seen that in my life. And then he says, <clears throat> So they clothed, they, he said, 
And Saul said to David, Go, and, and the Lord be with you. So they clothed David with his armor and put on a bronze helmet on his head, and he also clothed him in a coat of mail. Uh, David, I could do a lot with that, but I'm not. David fastened his sword and armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. And, and Saul was head and shoulders, the Bible says, above everybody in Israel. So this is way too big for David, I'm sure, anyway. So Saul clothed David with his armor, and, he, and it didn't work. Then he took, off, took his staff in his hand. He chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. And he put them in a shepherd's bag in the pouch which he had, and his sling was in the hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came, began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. Isn't that something? See, he's good-looking. He was on the front of the magazines in Israel. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods, little g. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with the sword and the spear and the javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah! That's the secret. You want to push doubt back? You want to overcome in your battles? Keep the battle up here. That's where God's at. He's in the spirit realm. Keep those battles up. He'll manifest himself in the natural. He's getting ready to. But keep those battles. Do you think the Holy Spirit took that stone and just planted it right where it needed to be? He says, he says, you come to me with the spear and the sword. I come to you in the name of the Lord and the God of the armies of Israel whom you've defied this day. The Lord, notice he's not trusting in his strength at all. Well, I'm good at something, preacher. Don't flatter yourself. You're only good because God made you that way. You, whatever doors He opened for you, you should be thankful and humble about them, not proud and arrogant over it. And so, He, he, still, he still doesn't take any credit. He says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. See where his trust is at? He's up here in the spiritual realm. And this big giant's down in the fleshly realm. But he's going down. I will strike you and take your head from you. <laughs> Woo, he's getting tough now, ain't he? This day the Lord will deliver you in my hand. I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth that the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. See where he's given, he's given all the glory to God. He's not trying to take any for himself. That's another problem we've got to watch out for. Don't try to take any glory for yourself. The Bible says God will share his glory with us, right? But let it all go to him first. He'll share it back. Ask a, uh, which the guy, uh, Herod how that worked out. God spoke from heaven. He acted like it's him. Next thing you know, he's dying worms eating him right there on the spot. Do not steal God's glory. Let it go to Him. He will share it back with you. He will give you a platform. He will raise you up. That happened to David. David's careful not to steal God's glory. And guess what? God raised him up. They, started, they sung songs about Saul. Saul slew a thousand. After David showed up, they said David slew ten thousands. Made Saul mad. But, Saul, but David never betrayed Saul. Even when he had chances to kill him, he wouldn't kill him because he understood authority. And he kept... He's under his authority until God. David probably could have took the kingdom with his own hand, but if he had taken it with his own hand, some man could have taken it back. But he waited on God to bring it to him. 
And when God brought it to him, even though David failed miserably, done some stupid stuff, they still couldn't take his kingdom because God had given it to him. Amen. And so you open, God opens the door, nobody can't close it. God closed the door, nobody can't open. I'm almost done. Give you neighbors. I went and got this water. Or forgot it because I knew I was going to preach a long time. So we've just got another hour and a half left, so don't be too... No, I'm almost finished. That was the second one. So when I say that again, I do quit. I need to hold off. <laughs> so they, he done, so the assembly shall know. See, everything's in the Lord, right? He's given God the credit. Does not save with the, she says, The Lord does not save with the sword and the spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. He recognizes what it's about. We in the New Testament know that better than anybody. Paul explained it to us. He told us several places that our weapons are not carnal, they're mighty. He told us that we don't fight flesh and blood. We should know that better than David did, but we don't. We look at Goliath and say, somebody go get a D9 dozer. Somebody go get a tank. Whatever. Man, what a man of faith. You know why David never lost his position? Because his faith never gave way. He failed. All of us are going to fail, but he failed and his faith never gave way. Peter's faith never gave way. Jesus knew he was going to fail. Jesus knew all of us were going to fail. That's why he hung on that tree. Jesus ain't nor, near as torn up about your sin as you are. He already paid for it. What he wants is your faith. He said, when I come back, will I find a perfect person? Will I find a perfect preacher? Will I find a perfect... He didn't say any of that. He said, when I return, am I going to find anybody in faith? Amen. Amen. I want to be that man. I want you to be those people. I want all of us that are connected to Basilea ministry, even the churches that watch us over in Africa that we planted, all, all of us, we, I know you are in tough situations over in, in Nigeria. You keep the faith. You contend for the faith like Jude. We're praying for you. And I know you guys are praying for us. we got to stand in the gap and be people of faith. That's what he's looking for. He's not... I, uh, should I say it, Lord? He's not coming back looking for a beautiful church building like some of them have said out in certain parts of this country. He's not coming back looking for a cleaned up earth. He's not coming back for a perfect person. He's coming back to see if any of us have faith and believe in the same God that David believed in that we can go down in the valley and take the head off of the giant. I want to share some Jewish history with you. I'm going to close. I had a lot more to say, but I'm going to close. This is my third close, and I usually close on the third time. How many of you give me five minutes? Five, ten, fifteen, twenty. Oh, no, just... Goliath is where Jewish history says that David brought that head that he cut off. And I didn't go that far, but he cut the head off of Goliath, brought him back outside of Jerusalem, set it on a mountain, prophesying that there's somebody coming to this mountain that's going to take the head of the giant off. I can feel that. Because the real giant's Satan, ain't he? And the Bible said Jesus made a show of him openly and that he has his heel on that serpent. It's bruised his heel, but he has got him in check. And so David was prophesying to Israel and to the whole world that there's one coming to this hill 
that's going to do what I did and more. He's going to go Goliath. Go Gotha. He's coming to this hill and he's going to take the head off of your enemy. He's going to set you free, give you eternal life salvation, and if you'll follow Him, no man has left anything in this life and not received a hundredfold in this life and the life to come. God sent His Son to destroy the works of the devil and expose Him openly. He now lives inside of you. He didn't leave us as orphans. He gave us the Holy Spirit. And now greater is He that lives in us than He that's in the world. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Somebody give Him praise. Hallelujah. I got a lot more to say, but I will say it next time. Let's stand to our feet. You guys come to worship. Goliath run up a dude, run up to the wrong dude. You'd thought if anybody would have went down there in natural, it would have been Saul. Saul was a big man too. Head and shoulders above everybody. He wasn't big as Goliath. They say Goliath was anywhere from 9 to 12 feet tall, maybe 6 feet wide, depending on which cubit you use. Different groups of people use different cubits. But I say to you that if you see a giant down the valley, don't you run and hide. God put him down there because he intends for you to gain the victory over him. Whatever giants you see show up. The, the devil don't like to be out in the open. He likes to be a deceiver. He likes to hide. Read your New Testament. He likes to stay behind the scenes and do damage. When God brings him out in the open, God's intending for you to overcome him. To gain the victory. How do you gain the victory? I gave you a clear way. Keep the battle up here with the Lord. Don't let it come down here. Because if you come down here, guess what? You're five foot six and he's 12 feet tall. That ain't looking good. What about Gideon? Gideon had 20, almost 30,000. The other guys had 110 or 20, 30,000. Like, he had like a fourth of what they had, maybe less. When God gets done with him, he's got 300. Doesn't matter. God can save with a few or much. It doesn't matter, the Bible says. And usually he saves with a few so he'll get the credit and we won't steal his glory. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for this moment. Thank you for... I want to say a few things here, Lord. We thank you for all the blessings in this country. I'm sorry, Lord, that our country in the last 60 years or 100 years, we've been kind of continually straying as a whole group. We... I repent for that on behalf of our nation. Since the 20s, 1920s, Lord, we've kind of kept doing our own thing. Lord, I, you're calling us. We're living in the last days. And you're calling us. You're calling some folks to be faithful. You're calling some folks to lay their lives down. You're calling folks to not be easily offended. You're calling folks to live their faith. We want to be a part of that. You're calling people to not doubt. You're calling people to be educated with your word so that they 
fight the battles in the place where they can be won. We don't get down on the devil's level. Lord, I pray for anybody under the sound of my voice that's watching around the world or anybody in this building. If they need to surrender their life to you, today will be their day. None of us have the promise of tomorrow, Lord. I didn't say, Lord, that I believe I can't leave here till you take me with the presumption that I'll be alive tomorrow because I know none of us hope tomorrow. That needs to be a reality, Lord, for those watching and those listening. Today's your day. Today's the day of salvation. Jesus said, none of us, Paul said, none of us have the promise of tomorrow. What are you going to do with Jesus today? Maybe you're here and you're a believer. Maybe you're watching or listening and you're a believer. You just keep doubting. Just keep doubting. You know, Peter was fine as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus. When he started looking at the circumstances, he started sinking. There's our lesson. This altar is open if you need to pray. Whatever you need healing in your body, whatever you need God to move, this altar is open.